I want to encourage you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning and join me in Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25, we will continue this morning in our series, Walking Through the Book of Acts. We began this journey back at the first Sunday in January of this year, not knowing what craziness we were in store for. And we will finish this journey through the book of Acts in two Sundays after this Sunday. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. It has been to me. And this morning, we've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to walk through chapter 25 and chapter 26 this morning. Only 59 verses. I hope you're ready because it's going to take some work to do that and get out of here so we can go eat lunch. I want to read for us both chapters, and so I want to encourage you as we walk through the text this morning, as we look at what is going on. You know, it's interesting that if we're not careful, we'll look and say, gosh, that's a lot to read, and yet here's what... I'm convinced of, and it's because scriptures say this, that the only thing that will not return void in this world is God's word. And so I believe that the best thing I could do is to read God's word in our presence on Sunday mornings and to walk back through it together. And so I want to do that as we walk through Acts chapter 25 and 26. And this is what Luke records. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priest and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summon him to Jerusalem, because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to these charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar." Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priest and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him 
asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. And when the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I suppose. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and They entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. And then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving of death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, 
I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance." For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have, help, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles." And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And I speak boldly to him. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, will you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. You would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we work through the text this morning, I want to focus our time and the rest of our attention this morning on Acts chapter 26, and here is the main idea that's going to frame our time together this morning. 
And it's this truth, there is no greater longing you should have as a Christian than for others to meet Jesus. There is no greater longing that you or I should have as a Christian than for other people to meet Jesus. You know, as we've walked through the book of Acts, what we've seen is exactly this transpire, that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, came to this earth and lived a perfectly sinless life, took our sins upon Himself on the cross and paid for them there, died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. We see that after Jesus' resurrection, he tells his disciples that they have a mission, they have a purpose to fulfill, and that is to take the message of who Jesus Christ is and to spread that message beginning first in Jerusalem, expanding to Judea and then Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is the mission that Jesus left his disciples to fulfill. We see that in Acts chapter 1, and then in Acts chapter 2, we see the church birthed there on the day of Pentecost. We see that God miraculously saves thousands of people in that one day. And the church is born there in Jerusalem. And the gospel message spreads and transforms lives. And so as we walked through the book of Acts, we saw that what Jesus commanded his disciples to do, they actually did. They began in Jerusalem preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thousands of people's lives were transformed when they trusted Jesus as their Savior. And then they went from there into Judea. And then they went into Samaria. And then they spread throughout the known world. And one of the architects of taking the gospel message and spreading it throughout the world was Paul. And once again, we have the joy of hearing his testimony of how Jesus Christ radically transformed his life. And what's amazing is that when Jesus transformed Paul's life, Paul never got over it. He never got comfortable with it. He recognized that he had been entrusted with the greatest gift in all the world, salvation through Jesus Christ. And what happens when you receive the greatest gift in all the world? You want to share that gift with everyone that you can. And Paul's life has been focused on that mission, on that task of carrying the gospel message out. And what I want us to do this morning as we look back through Acts chapter 26 is to be reminded of how Jesus Christ transformed Paul's life, but ultimately be reminded that Paul never got over it. That his deepest longing every single day from the time he met Jesus on that Damascus road until the time when he would give his life for following Jesus. His deepest longing was that God would use him to continue to spread the greatest news in all the world, and that is who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. So as we look at Acts chapter 26, I want you to be reminded in verses 1 through 11 of who Paul was before he met Jesus. 
I love this story because there are some who think that they're just too far gone for Jesus to change their lives. In fact, some of us think about other people and we think, I don't think they got a shot. I mean, Jesus would have to radically transform your life. And here's the good news. He's in that business. And what we see for Saul here, that was his name before it was changed to Paul, is that his one mission in life was to crush Christianity. That was his one mission. That was what he had given his life for. As we see in verses 1 through 11 there of chapter 26, Paul was a religious leader of the highest caliber in the Jewish tradition. He was a Pharisee. He had been schooled by the greatest minds that existed. And he looks to this king and says, you know that about me. And you know, not only was I trained by them, but I took very seriously the mission of crushing Christianity. I didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I didn't believe that He was the Savior. I didn't believe that He had risen from the dead. And those who would seek to claim that, I wanted to kill or to imprison so that I could crush Christianity. He says, don't forget that I was given essentially the keys to the kingdom. The chief priests were looking for a henchman who would go out and crush Christianity, and I volunteered. I said, take me, let me do this. And Paul says, you know what happened as a result of that. That when it came time for Christians to be killed, I was casting my lot, meaning I gave the clearance for it to happen. And not only that, he said, I took orders from the high priest and I went wherever I could and did everything possible to crush Christianity. You think about that and you say, I mean, wouldn't the best thing to be would be for God just to kill him? I mean, just to take him off the scene. I mean, all he's spending his life doing is seeking to crush Christianity, to seeking to imprison or kill believers. Wouldn't it just be best if he were no longer on the scene anymore? And yet I want you to notice that God had a very different plan. Beginning in verse 12 and walking through verse 18, We see Saul who is traveling on this Damascus road. Seeking to kill Christians. Seeking to imprison them if at all possible. And he meets Jesus on that road. One of the greatest persecutors of the church meets the Savior. And his life is radically changed. You know, it's interesting when you think about what Paul's life was like before he met Jesus. You know, it'd be tempting for us who are believers here this morning to say, you know, I wasn't that bad. And yet what the scriptures remind us is that every single one of us 
prior to meeting Jesus was dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were God's enemy, there was no way that we could do enough good works to save ourselves, that we were deserving of his wrath. Now we look at Paul and we think, gosh, I could see how he would be deserving of God's wrath. Look what he did. Some of you here this morning trusted Jesus at an early age like I did. I was eight years old. I grew up in a Christian home. I had my parents take me to church every time the doors were open. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed there and sat down with my pastor at the age of eight and trusted Jesus as my Savior. And I look back and I think, man, I wasn't that bad at eight. But I was dead in my sin at eight. Do you remember, believer, what your life was like before you met Jesus? Maybe you met Jesus as a child. Maybe you met Jesus later on in life. Do you remember what it was like before that? And if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, you just like Paul on this Damascus road came face to face with the reality of who Jesus Christ is. I want you to notice here that Paul meeting Jesus on that Damascus road does one thing. And he doesn't try to justify himself. You ever been there? He surrenders. He surrenders his life to Jesus. And I want you to notice what Jesus said to him. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. You are going to take the message of who I am to the world. So yes, before Paul met Jesus, he was heading headlong into being an object of God's wrath, not deserving, but God in his grace snatched Paul on that Damascus road out of that place and transformed his life. And I want you to notice what happens after that, beginning in verse 19 and walking through verse 32. Paul's testimony to King Agrippa is, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Paul says, I met Jesus and it all changed. Whereas I was doing everything I could prior to meeting Jesus on that Damascus road to crush Christianity, after meeting Jesus, after my life was radically transformed, I spent every ounce of energy within my being longing and working so that people would hear who Jesus Christ is and he would change their lives like he changed mine. Now Christian, 
Let me ask us, is that the intensity with which we seek to do what God has called us to do? I want you to notice how it intensifies. Paul says in verse 21, for this reason the Jews seized me. In the temple they tried to kill me. I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. Paul in chains... takes the opportunity once again because his longing to hear people's lives transformed by the gospel, he proclaims once again, here's who Jesus is. Here's how you can be saved from your sins. And it even escalates from there. Verse 24, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind. I'm speaking true and rational words. And then he appeals to King Agrippa. The king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Notice the boldness in verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Paul, in chains, before the one who could set him free, is not worried about making a defense for himself, is not worried about trying to justify his actions. His one goal, his one mission is to say, hey, King Agrippa, have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you believe the prophets? Do you believe what was prophesied about him? Do you believe that he is the Savior? Notice, verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul said, whether short or long. I love that. It's the reason I titled the message, whether short or long. Paul's mission, Paul's longing is for people to meet Jesus Christ. Christian, our purpose in life, our mission in life is to seek to help people meet Jesus Christ, to point them to Him. And Paul says, whether short, if they respond right off the bat, great. If it takes years and years for them to respond, it's okay. I'm still going to preach Jesus to Agrippa. He said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. 
Paul says, the greatest longing in my heart as one whose life has been radically transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ is to lift high the name of Jesus, to point people to Him, and then to call them to respond by faith in Him, receiving the gift of salvation that His death and His resurrection provides for them. That is the deepest longing of my heart. Church, I want you to know that is the deepest longing of my heart as your pastor. Is to week after week lift high the name of Jesus so that if you are coming in here and you've never trusted Him as your Savior, and this is your first Sunday at North River Church or your 500th Sunday at North River Church, it doesn't matter whether short or long. I want you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you may be here this morning and you've never taken that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior, of receiving the free gift that Jesus' sacrifice, His death, His resurrection offers for you and you have an opportunity this morning as King Agrippa did as he interacted with Paul to receive that gift of salvation as Paul did to wave the white flag of surrender in your life, trying to save yourself or thinking that you can be good enough to earn God's favor and surrendering to the reality that Jesus did what you could not do. That he lived a sinless and perfect life on this earth. That he took your sin and had the ability to pay for that sin on the cross and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. And you have an opportunity this morning to respond to that truth, to trust Jesus as your Savior. And if you've done that, Christian, what's the deepest longing of your heart? Would you echo with Paul here that the greatest longing of your heart and soul is for people to meet Jesus Christ? Listen, there's a lot of things that are important in this world. There are a lot of things that are important in your life. But Christian, can I remind you that the greatest thing, the most important thing in your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ and God's call on your life to be a tool, an instrument in His hand to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that the greatest longing of your heart? I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Our worship team is going to make their way back up and we'll close out our service together today. But if you're here this morning and You've never taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have an opportunity this morning to do just that. You've heard who Jesus Christ is. That He is the Savior. That He lived a sinless life, the very Son of God. That He came down to 
pay for your sins and my sins on the cross, absorbing God's wrath against sin. That he died and was buried and rose again on the third day, securing salvation for you if you will trust in him. Surrender your life to him. You can do that this morning. During this time of invitation, simply by calling out to Jesus. You can pray a prayer that goes something like this, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that there's no way I can save myself. But I believe that you died on the cross that you rose again on the third day and that I can be saved because of what you did in my place. And right now, I surrender my life to you. I'd encourage you, if you pray a prayer like that, or you're interested in finding out more of what it means to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you would grab me as you head out the doors this morning. I'd love to share with you what it means to trust Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, can I just remind you of who you were before you met Jesus? Lost, dead in your sin, deserving of God's wrath, but God's grace saved you. And Jesus calls you and he calls me to share that with everyone we meet. May the greatest longing of our hearts be for other people to meet Jesus like we have. And may we engineer our lives in such a way that that takes priority above everything else. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's example. Thank you that when we were dead in our sins, you didn't leave us there, but you sent your son Jesus to save us. For those here that have never taken that step of trusting him, would you give them the courage today to take that step? For those who have taken that step, would you once again ignite within our hearts a longing and a passion to see other people meet Jesus just like we did. Use us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and you sing?